This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast, episode number 125 here, late Saturday night, pushing into Sunday here in the mid to latter third of August, I would say. My name is Noah Grant alongside Nick Maxson, as always, and we've got, once again, another great edition of uh, college hockey news to talk about here with some NCHC previews. Our fourth team that we are going to be discussing in the previews is coming up today. Uh, a little bit in the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup, just some stuff basically about the Calgary Flames. Uh, the Calgary Flames are somehow making moves. Are they actually better than they were last year somehow? I have no idea, but we're definitely going to discuss that and find out. And then our extra ice session, we are just uh, getting to the tail end of the World Junior Championships. Uh, the championship game is just finishing up right now, but uh, one team that wasn't in there was the United States. Uh, a pretty big collapse for them uh, we're going to talk about that team uh, and a little bit more about the rest of the world junior championships in our extra ice session so without further ado we'll start as always with center ice view news and notes and the huskies illustrated weekly round center ice view news and notes center ice view provides you with the best coverage of st cloud state huskies hockey from game notes recaps photos and more go to centericeview.com Illustrated Weekly Roundup, Noah, and the biggest news of the week is Nazem Kadri is finally off the board, and it's not the New York Islanders or the Colorado Avalanche. Yeah. Um, how about that? It's actually the Calgary Flames? Question mark? Yeah. But actually good for Calgary, right? Um, Seven-year deal, $7 million a year annually. Um, how about this? To make room for him, they also traded 27-year-old center Sean Monahan to Montreal for a conditional first-rounder. Um, and for also future considerations. This is an interesting one, Noah, because... Yeah. Other, way, other way around, sorry. The conditional first is going along with Sean Monaghan. Right, that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so, for, for free, basically. <laughs> essentially, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Monaghan, a one-time, uh, I should say, at one time in his career, a three-time 30-goal scorer, yeah. um, but has been injured uh, the last couple of seasons. Uh, how about this? 23 points, only 65 games last year. He has not um, been the player that Calgary was hoping he would be. Um, was actually relegated to the second line a lot last season, too. So um, this is an interesting... I'll, I'll put it to you this way, Noah. I'm not surprised um, that Monaghan was moved. In fact, I'm more, I'm more surprised it hadn't happened earlier. 
um, just because I, I think Monaghan could really benefit as a player from a fresh start. Um, but I think the bigger surprise here is that Kadri ends up in Calgary um, after losing, uh, excuse me, Johnny Goudreau, as well as Matthew Kachuk, they bring in Huberdeau, Mackenzie Weger, and now Nazem Kadri. I mean, dare I say Calgary kind of did all right? Yeah, they did really well, I think. And, you know, there's a lot going on here. The the thing that bites about the Codger deal, he'll be 39 at the end of this one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're kind of paying for the win now and uh, uh, the pain later. I uh, just asked Minnesota Wild fans how that works. Um, but beyond that, the Sean Monaghan piece, I mean, he makes 6.375 mil a year. Uh, so I'm wondering, obviously, that would probably be part of why it was so tough to move that contract, especially in the last couple of years. Uh, but kudos, I think, to Calgary, even if it's a conditional first rounder, to move that contract without retaining salary. I think that's extremely impressive to get that done. Um, they probably won't get anything in return, um, whether or not that conditional first. I don't know the terms, couldn't find anything on that. So I'm not sure what the conditions are for that. But the Calgary Flames, I in the next couple of years, I think really have a shot still at their particular cup window, so to speak. Uh, whether or not they're going to capitalize it, I'm not sure. But they had... They were a team that we expected might have an okay summer, and then it was quickly apparent that they were going to have a really crappy start to the summer. And somehow they are relatively as good, if not maybe even better, depending on the player mix than where they came out of this. And if you think about it this way, Sean Monahan's contract out, Nazem Kadri, and essentially the same salary value tack on about 600 k or something like that. Would you take Nazem Kadri as a switch for Sean Monaghan? I think at this point, because Sean Monaghan's the player that he wasn't anymore. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and it, I think it's a bit of both, right, Noah? Because there's no question that Nazem Kadri is the better hockey player right now. However, that seven-year deal, as you mentioned, there's a lot of risk to Calgary in the latter yeah. probably three or four years of this contract. Um, and you kind of wonder how much Kadri, not to take anything away from the player, but how much he benefited from the Colorado system. Um, mm -hmm. Again, a career season. Again, it's a it's a heck of a year. No, no question in his mind, he wanted to cash in. Um, and he certainly did that. Again, $49 million over the next seven years for him. So congratulations to Nazem Kadri. And as you mentioned, I mean, for what was looking to be a dismantling of Calgary and, and maybe with that, a dismantling of their playoff hopes, uh, it's, it's kind of almost resurged to back to where this team is still to not to be taken lightly in the Pacific division. So you got to give a little credit to uh, Brad Tra uh, Trelevane up there in Calgary for really taking what was going to be a, a no win situation with Goudreau wanting out and then trading Matthew Kachuk, who also wanted out to get not only some a young defenseman in Mackenzie Weger has a lot of upside to get one of the better um, playmaking wingers in Jonathan Huberdeau, but then you also get a really good center in Nazem Kadri. Um, yeah. And you made it okay. Yeah, and think about that. You went from having a first line of Elias Lindholm, uh, Johnny Goudreau, and Matthew yeah, Kachuk, Kachuk, now now having Nazem Kadri centering Jonathan Huberdo and Elias Lindholm. Like, still is pretty nasty. <laughs> it's not bad. Not no, bad. Not bad. Uh, depth still is something to be desired maybe in Calgary. Um, I think Jacob Markstrom will have a, um, an even better bounce back, um, especially a little bit probably disappointed in the playoff run that he had, yeah. especially in the second round. But overall, I don't think you can really blame Calgary for how they responded to, um, again, what was going to be looking like a really 
bad offseason. So congratulations yeah. to both Calgary and to Calgary. Moving forward, how about a team that is not looking to rebound anytime soon? This is the Chicago Blackhawks. So how about this? Um, fresh off his cup winning campaign. We're talking about defenseman Jack Johnson. One year, $950,000. And then the Minnesota Wild. Um, how about this one? Uh, inking former Golden Gopher captain Sammy Walker on a two-year entry-level contract. Now, mind you, Sammy Walker was a Tampa Bay pick. Um, and it was not tendered an offer, making him an unrestricted free agent. And Minnesota came in and essentially uh, was able to get a deal done. So yeah. um, how about that? Uh, getting yeah. some some young players in the mix. And granted, Sammy Walker, there's still some questions as to how good he could be in the NHL. Um, Stud in you the know, high school, uh, okay in college. I don't know. What, what do you feel, Noah? You know, I, I think it's uh, we've seen a lot of rumblings on Twitter, you know, oh, he's probably not going to be a guy that's going to stick in the NHL, that sort of thing. Number one, we don't know. We don't um, know. But right. number two, I mean, if anything, probably going to be a good top six guy, you know, middle six guy, maybe in Iowa. You know, I think he just adds some much right. needed depth to that Iowa squad uh, down there. And, you know, if anything, he bolsters the AHL ranks a little bit. And if he continues to develop, I mean, you never really know. I think it's easy uh, to look at a player and look at somebody who's 22, 23, 24 and say, oh, well, if he doesn't have that that pure electric toolbox that he's not going to pan out at the NHL level. We've seen success stories before come from guys that have been developed. And uh, with Tim Army down in Iowa, it's been a very good developing process down there with that group. So um, you never really know. I anticipate, uh, at least for this year um, and maybe for the life of that contract, he is in Iowa for the majority of it. But, you know, the sky's the limit. And Let's be honest, he's still a really good hockey player. He's a professional hockey player. And uh, I think, if anything, just a good little depth move for the Minnesota Wild. Uh, kind of a maybe Kyle Rao-esque with a little bit more size type of player. I would agree with that. And, you know, how about this? The fact that he feels he has a shot to crack the lineup, right? So Sammy Walker believes that in his own game, um, there are plenty of suitors. We'll put it to you that way. No pun intended for those named Ryan, um, <laughs> you know, to, to come into an organization that has now some depth in their minor league level. And he still feels like he goes into an organization that believes in what they're doing, the development process, and still believes he has a shot to crack an NHL lineup. So if you're starting to yeah. attract so younger players like that, that's that still bodes well for the Minnesota Wild front office. Um, speaking of bold and attraction and and, and things of that, nor how about this Nashville, uh, the Music City, making some tunes as they are uh, going to be hosting both the 2023 NHL Draft and NHL Awards. Um, first time in well, gee, 17 years that they have done this. Yeah. Um, essentially, so. Uh, that would be Vancouver. I should say though it'd be the first time in 17 years that the same city has hosted both of those. Uh, usually it's one it's Las Vegas that does the awards. Uh, that's been kind of a heavily favored site. And then it trips around um, for those who host the drafts. So this is uh, I think kind of a good thing for the NHL and Nashville. Um, you remember was a 2017 in their cop run, how busy Broadway street was over a million people uh, coming out to, uh, to take part in those NHL Stanley cup final festivities, Noah. So uh, good for the NHL. Um, a good to kind of highlight a little bit more of a, I'd say a growing market there um, in Nashville. Um, they've always been supportive of the predators uh, and good to see that they're going to get a couple of highlight uh, big events from the NHL. Great, uh, great venue, great spot. So happy. Yeah. To see. 
Yeah, having the Country Music Hall of Fame kitty corner to Bridgestone Arena across the way certainly helps, I think, too. But yeah, first time since 2006, uh, they've had a team host uh, both of those events. And I'm assuming because Vegas is now actually having a hockey team, so maybe it makes sense to kind of move the NHL awards away from that and maybe kind of ha have it move around. I'm not really sure. Uh, that might that would be my only guess is maybe they're thinking that it's more, more kind of like a home field advantage type thing for the Vegas Golden Knights for the NHL awards. I have no idea. Um, didn't really get an answer on that besides the fact that Nashville is hosting for next season. Two more stories here on the docket here. Speaking of uh, both the Flames and the Canadians, we're going to circle back to both of them. Let's start with Calgary again. New superstar like we talked about, Jonathan Huberdeau joined a former astronaut, a general, former Harvard College hockey player, and over 170 Canadian Armed Forces and veterans in pledging to donate their brains to Project Enlist Canada for research after they pass away. So this program researches traumatic brain injury, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, and post-traumatic stress disorder in these individuals, especially the PTSD side of things for military personnel. Uh, the first NHLer that was active to do this was Ben Lovejoy back in 2017. Hasn't played in the league since 2019. Uh, 38 years of age right now. Other notable NHLers, Daniel Carcillo, Jeff Parker, JT Brown, Craig Adams are among those who have donated their brains for research. I, I thought that phrase, that sentence was kind of funny. I'm like, well, no, they're still alive. But when the time comes, they'll be donating their brains to research. Um, and Canadian hockey great Haley Wickenheiser is another one that pledged over four years ago, wanting to honor her late friend and former NHLer Steve Montador, who of course passed away in 2015 and was diagnosed with CTE after his death. Um, so Nick, we've talked about this uh, 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 little bit uh with the nhl and how the denial of concussions kind of seems to be one of the negative spots of gary bettman's tenure uh as mm -hmm. general uh commissioner of the national hockey league um is uh this a step in the right direction for i think just things in general not just the game of hockey obviously but i think just in general science is science no and you might be surprised to me on that <laughs> so and here's why i say no the NHL is still in denial, despite the fact that a very recent publication actually essentially said that there was a, now a direct link between contact of the head and CTE. Um, and the fact that both, I think the NFL has acknowledged that as well. A few other sports leagues have, and the NHL still hasn't. Um, so this isn't a step in the right direction because unfortunately it's the players themselves that are, doing the donation. They're the ones that are stepping up to the plate and trying to aid in the research. Yet the league is still uh, essentially holding its line. And again, you know, there's the question of why, right? No, the, and, and the easy answer to what a lot of folks have speculated is there is a liability for the NHL considering mm -hmm. that, you know, it, it is um, a, a very contact heavy sport that say if the, the league were to come out and acknowledge it, that there would be lawsuits of plenty, the league would be essentially draining of its money. And now we're talking another problem, which means no more NHL. I find that to be a bit of extreme circumstances, but to me, it's not, there yet until the league, whether it's Gary Bettman at the helm or a different commissioner, whichever it is, finally does announce that this is a legitimate thing. And until we get there, there's still progress to be done.
Yeah, certainly a lot of safety issues too that would have to be reformed should they acknowledge something like that too. And that's so, the other part of um, it too. Yeah. yeah. As far as the personal side though, I think we're going to learn a lot from this. Obviously, of course, uh, Boston, I believe it was Boston University study back in 2012 with 137 football players, um, mm -hmm. 136 of them that had CTE uh, revealed a lot and kind of started some of this uh, conversation for the first time. So um, science is rolling here uh, in terms of uh, big brain time literally and figuratively. Lastly, uh, our only injury here, um, it is looking more likely that Montreal netminder Carey mm -hmm. Price will not play next season due to his lingering knee injury. They say it's about a 5 to 10% chance that he'll be able to rehab that knee without surgery, which is scary in, a, in and of itself. Mm -hmm. um, he appeared in five games last year, um, his 15th season with the Canadians, and he said in April he doesn't believe that injured knee will allow him to handle a full NHL campaign workload in the future and also acknowledge he may have played his last NHL game at that time. $10.5 million average annual value, which will go on long-term injured reserve and actually made room for the new addition of Sean Monaghan and that $6.375 million cap hit. So uh, Carey Price... Um, could be the end of an era in Montreal. I think we're just going to keep an eye on that one. Not really anything. And I, I think you're right. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's more, it's more concerning that it's a, it's a, it's a problem that's already been there and you've been trying to rehab it and you still can't get it to the level that you're comfortable. It was it Ben Bishop that had something similar. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was a knee or specific ailment, but essentially yeah. couldn't really get it back to, you know, what do you call it? You know, peak, you know, performance yeah. uh, with his Tuk body to Rask is another one Braden Holtby might be another one here so as as a lot of people right. may or may not know the goaltending position uh both on your hips and on your knees is a very unnatural position for the human body and definitely takes a toll on a lot of these net minders especially if you end up mm -hmm. tweaking something uh in the latter stages of your career so we'll keep an eye on it uh the Canadians obviously could use him back in the net but they're going to move forward without it so and we're going to move forward as well we have the main portion of our show and our next NCHC pre- Welcome into the main portion of the show, the Huskies Warming House Podcast, episode 125. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant, here for our next NCHC preview. For those of you who do not remember how this works, uh, we are going through the eight teams in the NCHC in reverse order of what we believe the finishing order will be. Besides St. Cloud State, they will be the last team that we talk about regardless here. Uh, number eight was Miami, number seven, Omaha, number six, the Colorado College Tigers, Nick, and Get this, uh, last week's NCHC preview was one of the best shows in show history, statistically. I don't cool. know what it is about Tiger fans, but uh, kudos to them and their listening prowess um, because uh, they were definitely amped and ready for the NCHC preview, and we really appreciate it. We had, a, we had a lot of fun talking about the Tigers last week, I thought. They're an interesting club that I think uh, has the potential to do some real damage uh, next season. Uh, this upcoming week here, this current week today is what I'm trying to say, Number five, the last team to not get home ice in the NCHC playoffs, uh, should it get to that point, the Western Michigan Broncos we've selected uh, for this uh, edition here. Last season uh, at Lawson Ice Arena, uh, 1974 was when Lawson was built in Kalamazoo, Michigan, capacity of 3,667. Um, this is a building. Uh, as Pat Fershweiler uh, enters his second season as head coach, his 13th in, um, with the team total, 
And then Jason Herter, who came from the University of Minnesota Duluth in his second year as well, along with J.J. Crew in his second season as an assistant behind the bench, his sixth total with the team. He was player development for a while. And then second season as well for Will Massey as the goaltending coach, who, of course, was a former Bronco himself. This is a building St. Cloud State fans know it very well, Nick. It's a hard not, place. It, it's hard place it's to play. not good. <laughs> yeah. Very, very hard place to play. And uh, they ran with it last season. A big part of their success was their ability to keep the lost lunatics on their side. And the biggest uh, influx was their road record was pretty good, too. Um, and, uh, you know, just their consistency. Um, I know we'll touch on that here briefly, but yeah, that home ice advantages is one of the, was one of the top in the NCHC last season. So, uh, kudos to the, the Broncos for making whole, I, you know, really a home ice advantage there, uh, that they're in Michigan. This was a good hockey team last year. And I think a lot of people might wonder why we have them as fifth, to be honest. I think we even flirted with the idea had maybe CC or Omaha stood out a little bit more, maybe putting them closer to sixth. Um, coming up this season. And there's a reason for that. Um, and it kind of stems to almost a similar issue that Nebraska Omaha Omaha had. We're going to get to that in a little bit, but talking about last year, when I said this team was a good team, I wasn't kidding. 27, 12 and one, uh, a 631 winning percentage, that 27th win. I included it. Team stats list 39 games played. They played a total of 40 last year. I'm guessing the first game against Ohio State is probably the one that they maybe didn't count as an exhibition probably. game. At they first, didn't count the Michigan game. That's what it is. No, no. I. What's funny is that I I went through the Michigan State game because I was looking. I was like, why didn't they care that count this? Oh, it must have been that holiday tournament. But then I thought, why would Michigan be so worried about them if it wasn't a game that counted for the Parawise? So it must have been the Ohio State game in the beginning. I can't think of anything else. But nonetheless, they won the game three to one. So uh, a six thirty one winning percentage. I uh, not bad. Uh, for, for the pairwise, uh, that's yeah. third out of 59, third place in the pairwise, 679 for their overall winning percentage and a 14-9-1 record for a 604 conference winning percentage, third in the NCHC, uh, 24 conference games, 11 non-conference, four conference playoff games. Remember, they made it to the championship game. It was a frozen face-off, losing to Duluth 3 to nothing, and two NCAA games, beating Northeastern and then falling to the Minnesota Golden Gophers to go to last year's Frozen Four. Uh, like you mentioned, very good at home. 12 and 4, uh, 13, 6 and 1 on the road. So very good yeah, uh, in very both locations. Road. 2 and 2 on neutral sites, and they were 4, 1 and 1 in overtime. So uh, definitely a team that was a well oiled machine. Uh, their most wins last season came against Miami, followed by three each against Omaha and North Dakota. Um, yes. Yeah. And, very, and mind you, one of the games against North Dakota was the semifinal in the Frozen Faceoff where they stalwarted. Um, the Fighting Hawks. Now, mind you, uh, North Dakota was without Jake Sanderson uh, that game, but they had everybody else, I believe, was relatively healthy. So still a very, very good effort by the Broncos against, uh, I think, North Dakota, which I think would have been favored in that matchup, especially on that small ice sheet. Yeah, two victories uh, each against St. Cloud, Duluth, Colorado College, St. Lawrence, Colgate, and Ferris State, and single victories against Denver, the Michigan Wolverines, uh, Ohio State, <laughs> Michigan State, and Northeastern. See what I did there? Um, losses, uh, the most losses for this team against one single opponent last year, uh, there were two of them. The Denver Pioneers and the Duluth Bulldogs each had three victories against this team. North Dakota had uh, two victories against the Broncos in St. Cloud, Michigan. Uh, St. Cloud had two as well, and Michigan and Minnesota each had one. Or sorry, St. Cloud had one loss, and then they had uh, a shootout loss. The Huskies did against uh, 
Western. That was the only tie that was listed in this group. That was a shootout win for the Broncos in St. Cloud. So um, this team, Nick, I uh, was really good in goals for per game. So let's start there. Uh, they were plus basically one goal per game more um, overall and plus 0.6 goals more per game in the conference. Scoring by period, they were plus 37 overall with a plus 23 differential in period number three. This team knew how to keep the train rolling, put teams away 18 and three when scoring first. And even when they got scored on first, they were eight, nine and one. Nick, uh, just solid. Good team. Solid. Uh, yes. Good team. Plus 37 shooting differential in period three, plus 49 in period two, plus 103 overall. Um, they averaged almost three shots more per game which doesn't seem like a lot, but in terms of shot separation, that's quite a bit. Uh, mm -hmm. 17 and four when out shooting their opponent and nine, eight and one when being outshot. So every game that they were in, they were in regardless of kind of how the game swung back and forth and they were eight and four in one goal game. So let's start there, Nick. Um, this team was a team that we talked about being a dark horse candidate entering last season. Uh, they finished third in the NCHC uh, and didn't fail to impress. No, they didn't. And I think the biggest thing that we saw change under Pat Firstweiler was the fact that this team didn't really have those big swings like we saw with Andy Murray, right? They were a much more consistent team. They were more balanced up and down their lineup. Um, they got great goaltending. Remember, that was the big killer two years ago was their uh, – since their start was just not great. They turned it on. They turned it on in the second half of that season again. Yeah. A shortened COVID season. Brandon Busey got hurt in that first yes. game against St. Cloud in the pod, and Correct. they never really recovered from that. Never really did, especially in the pod. They did start to find their legs a little bit, and we kind of said this: this team wasn't really changing much. I'm like, if this team can just pick up where it left off, this is a dark horse team. And as you mentioned, they did not turn around and look behind them. This was a very, yeah. very good squad. They got scoring up and down their lineup. Um, really good tandem on D again, Brandon Busey back in that was really good. He's a big brick wall. And, you know, the one thing about Western Michigan too, Noah is, you know, we talk about, how good they were at even strength. Um, you, one of the better even strength teams in the NCHC minus a couple of other teams. That one really was their forte. I mean, they really were able to combine uh, strength as well as skill up and down their lineup. And it really was tough for teams to really find a way to kind of break them. As you mentioned with the stats, you know, you could, you could try to match, you know, punch for punch when they would just punch right back. Um, they also had the speed. Um, they could go down and, you know, generate on the rush could create a cycle. Um, and they were really good transition wise out of their own zone. They didn't allow themselves to get really hemmed in a lot. They had good D to D action, good skating defensemen as well. So, Really tough to slow down, and I think it really, for those who don't watch the NC as closely as, say, you or I do, I think it caught some people by surprise, but to us, this was no surprise you know, just seeing how this team was trending from the season prior. Especially with the upperclassmen group that we're going to get to that was very mm -hmm. productive last year. Uh, when leading after one, they were 14-2-1, carrying a lead into period number three. They were 19-0. and 0. Uh, Yikes. trailing, <laughs> trailing after one, they were still six and six. And when they were trailing after two, they still won five of 16 games, uh, that they were trailing after two periods tied after one, they were six and four and two and one when tied after period number two. So this is a team that, uh, was usually in the driver's seat for a lot of hockey games. Mm -hmm. uh, Nick, this Western Michigan team kind of gets the rap of being this hard, heavy physical team. Right. Um, so you'd think they'd be penalized a lot. 
this team was actually one of the least penalized teams in the NCHC. Um, they were minus 0.67 penalties per game compared to their opponents, and they only averaged just over nine penalties a contest. Compare that with some of the other teams that we've done. The next lowest was Colorado College, but then the other teams were in the 12s or 13s penalties per game. So they weren't taking a lot of penalties. Uh, when they were, their penalty kill was at 81.7%. They did allow 28 goals on 153 chances, but their power plays certainly made up for it. Mm-hmm. 41 tallies last year for a 24.6% uh, mark. That uh, was a team that was offensively heavy, was a very mm-hmm. well-oiled machine, uh, and a team that came in with two graduates, five seniors, four juniors, 15 sophomores, and five freshmen. This team had 31 players on their roster last year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, a couple players that had some decent years. We have four seniors and a junior here in that exact order on the top forward side. Drew Warad, what a heck of a season he had. What a season, season he had. Holy yeah, buckets. Nine goals and 36 assists for 45 points, a 1.15 point per game clip and a plus 10 rating. Was also money in the faceoff dot too. Yeah, yeah, pretty impressive. Only two power play goals for him, which makes it all the more impressive. I mean, he's a guy that, I mean, he's primarily a setup guy, but still nine goals, seven of those coming in even strength. So you like to see that. You talked about that even strength uh, Mm -hmm. uh, process for Pat Fershweiler's club. Uh, Ethan Frank, who was a senior, he had uh, one less game played, but uh, just over a point per game clip, 39 points for him, including 26 goals last year. A guy found a way to put the puck back in the net 20, excuse me, 10 of them uh, were power play markers and a plus 15 rating for him. Josh Passolt, who was a senior last year, of course, is related to Jeff Passolt, uh, former St. Cloud State hockey player who we had on the show way back in episode 30, I think. Um, I'll never forget him calling somewhere via satellite hookup. Yes. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> Pretty much called us on like a satellite phone. We loved it. Um, and then of course it was, it was mere weeks after that was when the pod started and the game winner in that game actually was accidentally scored by Jeff, Josh Passel on his own net, I accidentally batted that puck in, mm-hmm. uh, in the dying stages of that game. So, but had a good year last year, 28 points for him. Two power play goals was dash four though. Um, interesting. Uh, and a 0.74 point per game clip. So uh, eight goals, 20 assists, but it was still dash four. I don't really know how that happens, uh, but okay. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Cole Gallant, who was a senior, he had 26 points last year, four power play goals and a plus 15 rating. And then the final uh, forward that I had in here, there was a lot that we could have included, but uh, Jason Poland, who had the same number of points, Oof. 26, uh, had the same number of power play goals with four and was plus six last season as well. Defensive side here, Nick, uh, Ronnie Adder. Ronnie Adder, yeah. Yeah. How about averaging 0.92 points per game as a defenseman? 13 goals, 23 apples, 36 points, and a plus 20 rating for Ronnie Adder last season. And yet he signed with Philly, that poor guy. Uh, he might he, he might actually play, or Chuck Fletcher might trade him for five firsts. I have no idea. Um, no, he will include him with five first just to dump the contract. That's, yeah. that's how that works. No kidding. And then yeah. Michael Michael Joyu was the senior last year that had 32 points in 39 games. Uh, four power play goals was dash three as well, too. So kind of some random minuses random, in some of these yeah. top scorers here. And then as we mentioned, Brandon Busey, uh, who was a junior last season, played in pretty much every game, 26-12-1, and one, a 2.55 GAA, a 9-12 save percentage, and 2,000. 334 minutes of action in the net average uh, yeah for this goaltender here yeah. so uh nick top performers last season for the broncos a 
a very veteran laden class that has now disappeared into the sunset yes. for the most part. But what'd you think of these guys last year? Was it something that, as you had mentioned, you and I kind of keyed in, did you feel like we saw this developing or were you even surprised by the production of some of these guys? I think a little surprised at the offensive production. Um, I think again, just based on the way that this team was constructed merely from Andy Murray's right. They, they were not necessarily the most offensively gifted. They were very much uh, in terms of the, you know, the, the, the hit and grind type game style, Pat Fershweiler trying to kind of, you know, mess the two together, you know, try to get a little bit more offensive push, but also keeping that gritty style of play, which granted some teams, including St. Cloud had a very difficult yes. time against Western Michigan. Um, and a lot of, I guess you saw this last season again, third in the conference, uh, had tough finding answers. There was a good blend. And I think, you know, with per, with Pat Fershweiler too, and I think just the mental game of, of this squad too, really just trying to keep things as even killed as possible. And he even discussed it too, which is, you know, we're trying to find ways to win games where we should win them. And it's, you know, there were times where, again, in years past, and mind you, Fershweiler, he was an assistant before taking over as head coach, where they would have really good games and then, not or they'd have a good period and then they would just not keep that same level of gameplay up for the entire 60 minutes uh that really turned around and again what the most impressive win as i mentioned it was against north dakota the nchc frozen yeah. face-off you talk about you know going with a different kind of game plan i mean they were almost reminding me of a colorado college they were trapping they were being very defensively minded against north dakota taking away the middle of the ice uh quick clean exits if it was either off yeah. the glass or a quick flip and it's that kind of adjustment right it's that kind of where a team isn't known to be kind of like well shall we say AIC against the Huskies sorry I couldn't I couldn't help myself St. Cloud fans I couldn't I'm sorry but just doing what you had to do to put yourself in a position to win a hockey game and that's that versatility that Pat, Pat Firstweiler unlocked in this roster so it was a combination of you have a good senior group that had a lot of potential he unlocked more of that and then you get you know a little bit of help up and down the lineup this was a team that shall we say had a bit of destiny to it and had uh, well the season to prove it it was actually quite fun to watch yeah so speaking of that group uh, that we had just mentioned a lot of those names nick what does the number 13 mean to you does it mean anything uh, if it's on a Friday, it means everything. Well, it must it must have been a Friday in Kalamazoo because that's the number of players that are exiting uh, this squad from last season. So, Whoa. yeah, so gonna and a lot of those names. In fact, all of the names on that list, except for um, Cole Gallant, who I don't know if he's returning. He's one of three graduating players after last season. Haven't really gotten a chance to figure it out. But out of the three that graduated, he's the only that I might see returning uh, next season right. just based on his production. But Players that we know are gone here, Nick. Uh, Ethan Frank signing with the Capitals organization. He's with Hershey. Uh, yeah. Josh Passolt signed with the Buffalo Sabres organization. He's in Rochester with the Americans. Yeah. Drew Warad signing with Detroit. He's in uh, Grand Rapids with the Griffins. Uh, Michael Joyu signed with the Toronto Marlies. Ronnie Adder, like we mentioned, signed with Philadelphia. Um, goaltender Brandon Busey with the Boston Bruins organization. Defenseman Scooter Brickley uh, is transferring to Ohio State. Um, for oh his boy. senior season, um, Matteo, uh, is it Pecky or Pechia? I always mess this one up. Uh, junior, he's headed to Alaska Fairbanks. Um, mm -hmm. For Jared White is also headed to Alaska, but he's headed to Anchorage. Um, Ian Gurney, uh, sophomore, is headed to Long Island. Nick Strum is headed to RPI, as is Alex Aslandis. Um, who's gonna Aslanitis. Be a, Aslanitis. Um, and he's going to be a junior next season. Goaltender. Oh, yeah. Yep. Other goaltender Ross Howerluck entered the portal and has not 
um, been picked up by a team. In fact, he might have headed to the University of Manitoba um, last I saw. But five forwards, five defensemen, and three goaltenders exit this group, as well as Jamie Rome, who's a forward, and Jared Kucharik, who was a senior defenseman. He graduates along with Cole Gallant. Cole Gallant, like we mentioned uh, above there, had 26 points last season, so he might return for a fifth year as a graduate forward. I don't know, um, so we'll keep an eye on that. Notable players coming in here, Nick. Uh, we've got three of them. Carter Berger, who's a senior from Connecticut. He had eight points in 35 games last year. Defenseman Zach Galambos, who's a junior from AIC, 29 points in 36 games for him last year. And goaltender Kirk Larson, a sophomore from Miami, who had a game played last year. So um, where does that leave us? I don't have a clear-cut answer on this because this is the first team that didn't have an updated roster and incoming freshman class. And I was telling Nick pre-show I had to dig long and hard to try to find both of us. Yeah, yeah the, it was very tough. It was extremely difficult. So if we get one or two of these names wrong, we seriously apologize. Um, we're doing our best. My guess, um, if Cole comes back, one graduate player, two seniors will be on this roster, 11 juniors, four sophomores, and eight to nine freshmen for a crew of 26 to 27 to 28 something like that um mm -hmm. 15 forward seven defensemen two goaltenders which would mean five forward freshmen two to three freshman defensemen and one freshman goaltender is kind of what i've rounded out based on birth year statistical production and by need of this team here so um and i really have to give a shout out to um uh, the account WMU recruits on Twitter also helping me verify some of this information with the list that he or she had put out there. So I really appreciate their spreadsheet that they put out to kind of help me verify some things. But as, as Nick and I were talking about probably about six or seven sources uh, and a lot of newspaper articles, thanks to the rink live, as well as some articles and newspapers out East to kind of give us some bearing as to players that might be coming in here, Nick. So it was definitely an extreme challenge. Um, a lot of turnover here in Western Michigan. And that's yeah. part of the reason uh, before we jump into these players, Nick, uh, that turnover is part of the reason we have them at number five. They had a great year last year, but they lost a lot. And a lot of what they lost was what helped fuel the train last year. They're, they're all the top producers are gone for about for lack of a better term, right? No. And when you have these, you know, wave of babies as St. Cloud experienced three years ago, right? Is you're going to have groin pains and granted, yeah. you know, it, it's one of those again. And I kind of wish to, for St. Cloud's purpose, mind you, this was the 2020 season um, that was cut short again. You know, they were starting to trend in the right direction. That was the final years of Jack um, and Nick Paling um, that were sort of leading the charge and you could see some upswing, but again, this is such a tough conference, right? And there's so much that has to be done with terms of confidence and, and trying to play not only consistently, but just trying to find a groove. Right. And I think again, with such a large under underclassmen uh, number that this is going to have, and a lot of their top producers gone, this is going to be an uphill battle for Western Michigan. Now, granted, we still feel like the quality of the talent that's still there as well. It's coming in, puts them a little bit above um, the last three that we have previewed. But again, as you mentioned before, um, this is not going to be the same team. We saw the last season and a half, I would say, right. Where yeah. um, I still think Pat first weather has, has done a really, really good job of transforming this team little by little to try to make it a little bit more competitive in this conference, which again is the best from top to bottom. Um, definitely going to be more of a developmental year than anything. Um, but I still believe that uh, first Weiler is the man for the job. And uh, we'll just have to see how these uh, incoming freshmen uh, do with adjusting from either juniors or another college into the Western Michigan, um, Western Michigan program. 
Yeah, and you look at some of the players that they have coming down the pipeline. Of course, 2001, 2002 is kind of the year where guys are coming in that are finally eligible to be at the college level if they can make the jump. Um, but you look at the pipeline down in the 2004s and 2005s, there's some really good forwards coming in, and there's some really good defensemen um, that are coming in down the pipeline for this group. So it's going to take a little bit of while for the Broncos uh, to get some of those guys here, obviously. Um we're looking at uh, these freshmen coming in, maybe eight, maybe nine. I'm not quite sure. Really, the question mark stems from the defensive core because you have uh, essentially four defensemen that are going to be retained, and then you have a fifth defenseman coming from the transfer portal. So my guess is you take two defensemen for sure um, mm -hmm. and maybe a third, um, depending on birth year, depending on development, what you feel. Um, with that being said, uh, there's definitely one defenseman that is going to make the jump here. And the other piece of this too is that uh, the class that was sophomores last year, that huge sophomore class that now becomes juniors, had a pretty decently productive season last year. So that's part of the reason we also have them at number five is that that class has a little bit of experience and is going to be kind of the bulk uh, and the main glue of this crew moving into their upperclassmen years. Uh, so we kind of expect them to uh, continue to keep that train rolling as well too. But freshman side of things, uh, Nick, uh, three defensemen, five forwards, uh, one goaltender. We've said that quite a bit. Um, You've said that quite a bit. I sure have. I sure have. <laughs> uh, is there uh, is there a particular spot you want to start? Particular position? Anything like that? Let's start with the defensive core. Okay. Um, just because again, that was the biggest area of improvement I felt like for Western Michigan was their defensive corps. And I'm curious as to how they are continuing to make that better. Yeah. Extremely interesting here. Um, Samuel Solon is the defenseman that he's going to be here for sure. Uh, Stockholm, Sweden, 6'1", 174, a left-handed 2001 shot. He's a fourth round draft pick in 2019, 111th overall by the Dallas Stars. Had 35 points in 56 games played with the Dubuque Fighting Saints in the USHL last season on the back end. So an extremely productive season for him, I can't imagine. I mean, he's an 0-1 anyway. But uh, even with that production, I, I would imagine he'd be someone who'd be making the jump. Uh, the other two beyond that, I'm not particularly sure. I think one of them comes for sure, maybe both of them. Uh, next one on the list is Lucas Mata from Kleinberg, Ontario, 6'2", 185, a left-handed shot. Pretty good size for the 2002, so he has mm -hmm. another year of eligibility. Had 20 points in 44 games with Salmon Arm in the BCHL last season. I look at that and say maybe the size aspect. Um, the other one is Jacob Napier from Lancaster, New York, who is also at 6'2", 190, a left-handed 2003 shot. And he's a player that I could either see coming or I could see him maybe waiting a year just because he's an 03. Um, and he had 10 points with Muskegon, uh, the Lumberjacks in the USHL last season. So I could see them going either way on this one. Mm -hmm. um, but for sure, uh, Samuel's going to be coming in and maybe Lucas Mata, maybe all three of them. Um Nick, the defensive core uh, needs a little bit of boost here. They do. And, and, and again, you mentioned uh, the first gentleman from Sweden. Again, you know what you get out of Swedish defenseman. Good two-way players, good skating, good hockey IQ. Again, the 35 points um, is, you know, reflective of that. Um, just ask, uh, is it is it Miro Haskinen? Is, yeah. is he Swedish, right? Okay. Is he Swedish or is, or is he Finnish? Finnish? He's Finnish. I, I did not Finnish. finish. I did not finish that sentence right. So uh, <laughs> how about, how about uh, Victor Hedman? There you go. Yeah. Um, just lacking a little bit of size, right? Um, yeah. At the end of it. But, you know, that would be huge uh, because I believe that's where 
Western Michigan is trending instead of that big brawny kind of defenseman, more of that two-way style that can sort of add a little bit of offense to a good skating defenseman as well. Um, so he's going to be probably their, like you mentioned, they're probably their biggest prospect in the back end that uh, could help kind of shore up that bottom two, maybe bottom third pairing. Um, I still think maybe Noah, that you, if as an organization, you probably want all three just because let's say you yeah. want to dress seven, but then what's to say, Hey, you get an injury um, that depth. I think that eighth guy is important. Um, again, the O three, I mean, he's got eligibility for what he said. He was six one, but only one ninety, So we still got some room to bulk up a little bit too. So kind of curious to maybe see where they think the best spot is for him to make that uh, continued development. Um, so um, I would say for sure, at least the first two, the third one, I'm with you. I'm a little bit on the teeter totter with that. We'll have to see what the uh, Broncos do with him. They, whether they keep him in juniors or whether they bring him along and figure that's the best way to get him to continue to improve his game. Yeah. The other 2003 is Trevor Mitchell, who played for the Bismarck Bobcats in the NHL central division had nine points in 46 games, a plus six rating on a Bobcats team. That wasn't all that great last year. Um, so, but I think he needs a little bit more development time for sure. So I don't see him making the jump. Otherwise you have an 04 and an 05 on that list as well, too. Four half of things here, Nick, uh, five players, uh, Theo Thrun, um, from Grand Rapids, Michigan, a f- uh, five foot 11, 165. Now this is coming from his elite prospects. So he could be a lot different, um, at, this, at this point now, uh, 2001 product had 23 points with the main Nordiques in the NAHL last year, uh, 27 points in 47 games with the Kenai Brown bears the year before only played in 33 games, had a cup of coffee in the BCHL as well last season. So I'm not sure probably had a little bit of a split season or maybe had some injury trouble. I'm not particularly sure. Um, but a decent little uh, productive player here. Uh, we'll talk about two players, then we'll talk about one, and then we'll talk about two. How does that sound? Sure. Uh, Cole Birch from Markham, Ontario, five foot ten, one sixty one, right-handed shot. Another two thousand one as well. Again, I wonder if these guys are maybe a little bit bigger than what their EP lists them. I uh, had fifty five games and thirty two points to go along with that with Cedar Rapids in the USHL last Solid. season. Yeah. Uh, thirty eight points and forty nine campaign or contests with Youngstown in the USHL the year before. So. Pretty good, decent, uh, you know, top six, middle six guy in the USHL. Uh, both of these guys, a little bit different journeys for them, but uh, I don't know. I would call them undersized, but definitely room to grow on the physical side for sure. But skill wise, looking pretty good. And that's the transition, right, away from Andy Murray's uh, sort of game style, which is I want the size, I want you to be able to escape, and maybe not the most offensively skilled. We're starting to see a little bit more emphasis put on skill, uh, maybe not necessarily uh, on size per se. These guys are still going to be able to skate and be a little bit more in terms of maybe offensive IQ, uh, offensive prowess, maybe more puck possession type. So this is that transition, again, more away from the Andy Murray style. So um, again, the, the EP, stats are always sort of a question mark because again these are usually reported at the start of the season so it's been almost a year so these these yeah. guys have easily could have grown as far as um in their height they've also got to put on some weight too with uh, some time in the weight room uh but nonetheless um going to the the broncos and uh, obviously you know catching the eye of first wilder and his staff so um definitely go got to wait and see how these guys look but uh, looks like to be a little bit more uh, a little bit more speed and skill in terms of what we're going to see in this lineup. Yeah. The re- all of these forwards, the five that I'm listing are all 2001s. I should just put that out there. I uh, five foot 10, 183 pound left-handed shot from London, Ontario. That's Ryan McAllister. Who's a forward Nick. Uh, I want you to tell me if this is good. 
Um, this is coming from you the never Brooks... asked me that question. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> the Brooks Bandits in the AG... AJHL is where oh, Ryan Ballister yes. played. Mm-hmm. Um, 60 contests for him. Tell me if this is good. 57 goals, 82 assists, 139 points. This and, is. And maybe another 29 points and 13 contests in the playoffs. It's all right. <laughs> um, wow. uh, Brooks Bandits, they were, uh, yeah. yeah, holy buckets. Um, well, and I say it for a couple of reasons, right? Because the Alberta Junior Hockey League, or as you mentioned, the AJHL, yeah. um, as far as college recruiting is, has become, is it the third or the fourth? most uh, drafted or the, the fourth most players that are coming into the NCAA, NCAA from, uh, was it the USHL, the null um, I'm forgetting some of the other, it was a BC. Probably, I think probably, maybe. The, probably the BC and then the probably AJ. The BC, sure. Then the yeah. AJ has really climbed in terms of getting the scouts and uh, the eyes of these coaching staffs. And uh, yeah. yeah, that point total, Holy buckets. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, it, there's no difference from regular to postseason, right? So he, he, he dominates in the regular season. He even has a torrid pace in the playoffs. That's good. You're talking about, you know, who's going to replace possibly some of that, uh, that uh, veteran leadership as well as that production. This is a guy that uh, obviously they're going to be leaning on. That's some insane numbers. Now, mind you, this is a, you know, the junior, uh, yeah. the junior level. Um, so obviously going to be a little bit of a transition to college hockey, but maybe this is a diamond in the rough for Western Michigan. Again, not the biggest player at five ten. Again, we're not sure where he's at now, if any of that has yeah. changed. I mean, I thought it was five ten one eighty three. That sounds like a guy that part of my French is built like a brick shit house though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just a really solid dude. And well, almost like a Mike Miller type, but to this guy, he's got some, yeah. uh, apparently a shot in some hands and, and maybe some dangles who knows. Yeah. Uh, I uh, 2.32 points per game. That's pretty decent. Uh, Connor McDavid's under the chat. Holy yeah, God. no kidding. <laughs> I was, you know, speaking of Connor McDavid uh, in the World Juniors, I was watching uh, Connor McDavid's highlights from I believe was it the 2015 World Junior Championship? Right. Yeah, and because uh, of course it was his draft year coming up. You know, a couple months after that. Um, holy crap! It just on another level. I mean, just mm-hmm. w- when you know, you know. I uh, right. Ethan Walters, a forward from Valencia, California, 5'7", 150, right-handed shot, 2001. Uh, again, 5'7", 150. I got to imagine he's probably bigger than that. Um, I would, I would hope so. <laughs> yeah, 50, 50 games and fifty three or fifty points, excuse me, and fifty three games played with the Minnesota Wilderness and the Null. Though that's pretty good. Uh, so um, for someone who would be listed as uh, undersized in this case, uh, certainly good production for him. And then Barrett Brooks, who is a uh, right-handed shot at 2001 as well, uh, 68 games played for him, 19 total points with the Madison Capitals in the USHL. I wonder about him a little bit. Of course, 01, it's his year to kind of step up. This is where I wonder if Cole Gallant is going to stay for his graduate year. I think that uh, makes the conversation interesting. 15 forwards on the list without Cole would be 16 with both Cole uh, and uh, Barrett Brooks entering the chat uh, essentially here. Uh, But both of these guys, uh, a little bit smaller players, um, pretty good production for Ethan Wolters here. Um, Anything you like, anything that stands out about these players? Well, I think you see a trend here and you kind of wonder too, um, especially with some that's five, so they still got some good production of them. So these guys must have some good hockey IQ. They must have an ability to create space for not only themselves, but others, right? Especially in the front end. And again, even at the junior level, I mean, you're, you're taking hits, you know, you, you have to be able to be smart 
with your body to protect yourself, to be able to find that open area, especially without the puck too. We talk about a lot, I think, in terms of a fan's mindset. When we talk about the hockey IQ and stuff, that's both with and without the puck. And with someone who is a bat, let's just be frank, undersized, you have to be even better in those areas to kind of, I don't know if compensate's the right word, no, but to be successful at the higher levels. And so, um, you know, it's good. It's, again, this is a, a bit of an under appreciated list i think and yeah i think with the guys that are here if you can mix up these players that have got okay size maybe not the biggest guys maybe some of the size they left over there could be like we mentioned with colorado college some other a good mix that could bode well for the for the western michigan broncos on the front end yeah certainly could nicholas rexine who's an o2 playing with the wilderness in minnesota as well had 67 points in 62 games played he's someone to keep an eye on as they move into next season i uh, Ian Samoza, who I wonder is maybe related to the Samoza from Bemidji State. Bemidji State, I wonder. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 2003 in, with Wenatchee in the BC had 62 points in 56 games as well. So a couple of guys to maybe keep an eye on as well for some offense as you move forward in a Broncos sweater. Goaltending-wise, uh, they do have a freshman coming in here, uh, and that is going to be Will Hambly uh, from Cole Harbor, Nova Scotia. Not like any good hockey players have come out of that. None. Yeah. <laughs> For those and, playing the home game, quite literally, uh, that would be Cindy Crosby and Nathan and McKinnon. Nathan McKinnon who, who I think yeah. the cup was there. Was it yesterday or yesterday? I think it was yesterday. Uh, yeah. yeah. and Yesterday uh, pretty, meaning Friday the 19th, yes. Yeah, pretty pretty good parade as opposed to Friday the 13th, which we're just sorting through right now. Right. Uh, six foot three, 190, uh, 2002, Will Hamley. Uh, 32 games played for the Steinbach Pistons. 28-2-1 uh, last season, a 1-9-6 goals against, a 9-29 save percentage, and had a 9-1-5 in 11 playoff games. Definitely ready for the jump, I think, for him. So uh, this Broncos club, we talked about it before, Nick. Goaltending, especially at the college level, plays uh, a big deal. With Kirk Larson coming in from Miami, and then you have Will Hambly, who's coming in as a freshman. Uh, Goaltending-wise, uh, things are starting to perk up, I think. Perk up, and again, you know, with 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 Kirk Lawson, again, he's familiar with the NCHC, so there's some at least some expectations there from him as a freshman. You know, yes, those numbers are great. Don't get me wrong, um, but again, it's still a transition year. Uh, it is curious, though, again, with Western Michigan, you you just kind of hope that there isn't an injury here because if they're only carrying two goaltenders, I'd imagine they're going to have to get a third um, because if uh, if 2020 has taught them any lesson, um, if you don't have depth at the goaltending position, that can really derail your season very rapidly in this league. So um, I still think goaltending, despite how good um, – uh, this young goaltender is coming in. I still think that's their biggest question mark in terms of uh, what's on their roster, what to expect. Again, lost only one game played, and I, it, it was, I think, only once. Was it a start, too, or was it just an appearance, Noah? I think it was just an appearance, and I don't know if it was their exhibition game. I'm not sure. I just said one sure. game played, and I didn't, I to be honest, I didn't dig any further. Right. So. And, and at the end of it, that's, I don't know if it's concerning per se, but again, that means that you, you, you I mean, there's going to be, I think, a goaltending battle, but in terms of, you know, workload and in terms of the goalie that has at least statistically the better chance, that's the freshman goaltender. But you kind of wonder, let's say maybe he struggles out of the gate and uh, things maybe you want to give him maybe a mental break and you bring in your backup uh, goaltender, um, Kirk Lawson, uh, assuming that is the one to do. Oh, again, we don't know uh, this information yet, but you have to be confident that your, your goaltender, your second guy can come in and get the job done. And right now that's looking a little questionable for Western Michigan on the back end. So, um, still that's again, biggest question mark for me is going to be in between the pipes and uh, we'll have to see how the Broncos sort those things out.
Yeah, I could use an extra goaltender too. I'm kind of surprised that Alex Aslanitis actually went to RPI. I don't know what the discussion was on that, but you kind of really maybe had a chance to be the guy, um, you know, entering this season. I'm not sure what the conversation was. Pat Fershweyer might have been flat out and said, hey, you know what? We like this kid coming from Nova Scotia. I have no idea. Most, most likely, I would say. I, I think, you know, when you get to, especially in the NCHC, you're starting to see at least th- – the operation side of things, right? Where it's, it's mimicking professional leagues, which is you are having these direct conversations with players, which is if I'm going to sign you to a deal, you know, I expect you to be a third, you know, a third line center or, you know, Hey, you're probably going to be the backup goaltender. I mean, Minnesota wild fans, uh, the Mark Andre Fleury scenario, right? Yeah. So, you know, these are these, you know, kind of conversations that happen at every level, especially the, the higher levels. And you kind of wonder, again, as Linitis was the guy that came in for Brendan Busey and, he was okay. He wasn't great. Um, but you kind of wonder, you know, does that mean, as you mentioned, that they are very high on this freshman goaltender again, Kirk Lawson coming in, or maybe was it just the right in the wall? And as Linitis said, maybe he thought in his head he was going to be the guy, but then seeing some of them, uh, a transfer coming in, maybe a highly touted freshman, maybe he thought, I want more playing time and he can get that at RPI. So it, it could go yeah. both ways, Noah. But I had mentioned in rally, it's probably a mixture of both, would be my guess. And certainly a little bit of off-ice stuff that we might touch on just ever so slightly in Western Michigan last season definitely had some things uh, culture-wise that maybe influenced that too. We have no idea. A lot of things that could have, have come up to play here. That's one of our listener questions coming up here. Uh, scheduled for the first half, uh, October 1st and 2nd, they travel to their schedule. I was By the way, when we go through this, I, especially the first half, not a fun schedule. I don't think uh, no. October 1st and 2nd, they travel to Alaska Anchorage October 8th. They play Ferris state in Ferris state the 13th and 14th of October. They're um, at home and then traveling to Bowling green. And then the following weekend they're traveling and then at home versus Notre Dame. Oof, boy. Same, same exact schedule, October 28th and 29th against Michigan. Hopefully those games actually happen. Um, no, Mel Pearson's gone, so it'll happen. Yeah, November 4th and 5th, uh, they're at home against Miami for their first NCHC test of the year. The 11th and 12th of November, they are in St. Cloud. Uh, November 18th and 19th, uh, they are at home against Duluth. And then the 25th, they travel to Nashville for the Music City Hockey Classic. That'll be the, fun. The first ever, they're playing Northeastern. December 2nd and 3rd, uh, they are in Omaha. And then the 9th and 10th, they're at home against North Dakota. So a lot of travel, a lot of home and homes, just kind of a weird fluctuating schedule. I don't know. Uh, It's the only two times that they do have St. Cloud, though, and it's in St. Cloud. So Huskies fans rejoice a little bit there. Um, And and Noah, real quick, too, you talk about how a travel schedule can impact a younger team to you kind of wonder with all this travel, does that hurt them a little bit in terms of especially a younger type roster and trying to get them adjusted to NCAA division one hockey life? It's certainly, I will say this certainly does make it easier. Um, that's a tough travel yeah. schedule. So um, it'll be uh, well for like, you're, you're being thrown into the burn pit early. If you are a, a newcomer to the Western Michigan squad and to NCAA division one hockey, for sure. Western Michigan's kind of, a, they're a curious case that I know we say that about a lot of teams, but they kind of, I, I, pardon me if this is kind of a poor take, but they kind of remind me of like the half sibling or the adopted child. And they're entering into the family dinner for the first time with all the children who are, you know, brothers and sisters. They're just in a weird spot this year. I, I, I don't, you well, know what I mean? Like, well, again, I mean, it's well, it, and to rephrase, right, there's a lot to like 
about what's there and what's coming in. Yeah, certainly. Right. And I think, and again, to reiterate, that's why we have met fifth. They're a curious case because what we have, what they have returning is good. What they have coming in has a high ceiling, but yet it's unproven, right? A lot of youth that's coming in. And the other part of it is what they probably got most out of their players last year have departed. And so again, it's, it's such a, a seesaw so it's, it's almost fitting their rate in the middle noah right yeah it, it really is and we talked about how colorado college it has i think the most potential to maybe go up i almost think that western michigan almost is mm-hmm. the opposite they have exactly. just as much of a chance to slide down a little bit depending on yeah. how you know these players adjust and again a lot of new faces doesn't help uh, doesn't help a lot of these freshmen coming in as well uh, so it's, it's curious. Um, yeah. and again, we do want in the words of Norgren, wish them the best of luck because we yeah. still, I mean, there's still going to be a good hockey team. Again, Pat first while they're getting, I uh, was it the, if I recall, if I recall correctly, the first ever NCAA frozen, uh, was it a tournament win under his guidance, yep. if I recall correctly. So, I mean, they're trending in the right direction as a program. Uh, but this may be one of those years if it's, I want to call it a retool year, but it's definitely one of those where a lot of uncertainties, uh, with this squad, we'll put it. Yeah. And it's a curious travel schedule as well, too. And I yes. think, you know, the other piece of this too, is, you know, we don't, we don't want to, you know, talk about uh, teams and I don't want to say a negative light, but you know, it's, it's hard for us sometimes to be objective about some things, but that's also why we're here is we're also here to say, Hey, you know, this is something to kind of keep an eye on. It's, you know, maybe, maybe kind of an interesting thing that might not be that successful. Um, but we also hope that that success definitely happens too, because we want to see teams thrive, obviously. So um, well, let's, we'll put it to you this way. Let's take St. Cloud State, for example, when they were the number one unanimous team in 2018, 2019, and they lose in the first round. Remember when St. Cloud went to the national championship game? Um, I don't think anybody, anybody, not even St. Cloud State fans would have, dream that that was where this team was actually headed objectively right i think you know that's why sports are so fun to cover is because you you can have all this information you can have all this insight into who's coming in or who's gone what's coaching staff and yet at the end of the day the games are going to happen it's going to sort themselves out and at the time you know you're going to see some really good hockey games and you're probably going to see some stuff that you never saw before um nick perfect's jersey tug um but (laughs) I had to go there. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Hoskins. But I mean, oh, seriously, um, and, and you have, but and then you have those X factors, like I just mentioned, right? Where maybe something should have been called and wasn't, or something that wasn't called and should have. You know, it's just it, it is those strange but fun things, and that's why we're so addicted to sports: is the drama, the unknown, and at the end of it, who wins it? There's a bit of luck involved, and there's also well a little bit of planning too, and just a matter of do the stars align for each program to get to that ultimate final destination, which is a national championship. What we do know for stars aligning is that the Great Lakes Invitational will happen December 27th and 28th, um, and all games will be played. Uh, Michigan Tech the first night, and then Michigan State or Ferris State the second night for them. January 13th and 14th, they travel to Grand Forks in North Dakota. The 20th and 21st of January, they're in Colorado College at home for the tail end of January against Omaha. Travel the following weekend to Duluth. At home again versus CC now, uh, and then at home versus Denver, and then finishing off with a traveling uh, road trip to Miami, March third and fourth. So, um, an interesting little schedule for this group. Couple of fan questions here. Uh, Caleb Peabody wants to know: Will Russell Wilson take them to the promised land this year? Uh, wrong Broncos team. Sorry. Right. Very wrong Broncos. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe for Denver though, the Pios. Maybe. Uh, 
That's true. Yeah. Max Veach wants to ask I some of these, some of the questions, I, I honestly, for any Bronco fans here, I don't write the questions. I just read them and we do our best. I promise. Uh, some of them I'm just like, okay. Uh, so Max Veach, uh, some we don't read at all. Yeah. <laughs> Max Veach, someone who, uh, someone who is as good of a hot take as anybody here after one year with a block W instead of the far superior Bronco logo, how do you, how much do you think they regret that decision? How many times do you see it and think about the Washington football team? Um, and more importantly, what are the odds that they can maintain the success of last year on um, the logo? First of all, it's no yeah. longer the football team. It's the commanders. So you need to rewrite your question there, Max. Yeah. Uh, number two, um, obviously they don't regret it because somebody in a board meeting had to say, we're changing this. So they obviously don't regret it. Um, um, but bet between you and I, um, I mean, I know my opinion. If, if you could choose between the two of them, do you know which one you would pick? Yeah, I would actually revert back to the Broncos. So would I. I yeah. would. Yes, yeah, yeah. so the, the jersey was better looking, but again, it's the reason why we make the big bucks, aka minus dollars on this podcast. <laughs> um, and the operating loss, honestly, for the last two and a half plus years. Um, that's why we are here, and that's why some other big folks taking money yeah. make jersey um, design decisions. Yeah, I made, our I made our logo, though, so that's all I got. Right? Yeah. It's better than a W, I guess. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Despite that, that there is a W. Hey, you just you yeah. just bookended it with an H and a W. I see what you did. Oh boy, uh, better <laughs> better get Max away from our logo. But uh, no kidding. <laughs> what are the odds they maintain the success of last year? You know, Max is a betting man, so uh, it's possible, although less than fifty percent. Yeah, Third in place, my hum in my humble opinion. Yeah, that team last year was really good, and it probably was. could have been in other years. Probably could have been atop the NCHC with how good they were. Probably uh, just yes. Denver and North Dakota were just that good. Uh, Derek Felska asks, will the Broncos be the nemesis team they were in the NCHC last season? They seem to be a team that embraces a more aggressive style of play. Do you think that's why they are so hard to match up against, or is it something else? And quite humorously, Stephen Miller uh, at Brand Steve responded, they have former Unis University of Minnesota Duluth coach Herder, who the Bulldogs dearly miss. The dogs' power play has suddenly gone down the tubes with the move, and the Broncos magically suddenly have a great power play. So what do you think? Uh they used to be a grind team, as you mentioned before, with, you know, the transition under first Weiler. They're not, that's not their primary MO anymore. Um, they yeah. want to have some grit to their game. There's no question about it. That's partly why, as Derek mentioned correctly, they have been a matchup nightmare. But what's made them a bigger matchup nightmare is when you're not a one-trick pony. When you can score, when you can defend, when you can skate, when you can still put some sandpaper in your game, I think that's what Western Michigan was missing, honestly, in, in years past was they could hit and at times they could beat you offensively, but it wasn't a, a true threat, maybe. There weren't really yeah. a scary offensive team, whereas now they have a little bit of a different system. Um, it, I, again, just more cohesive in terms of the execution on the ice suit. I think that's the other point I've been trying to make is, you know, it, it's not much about the physical style. It's more about how they use it to create offense and more so on the back end too, you know, how do they help out their goal center protecting the middle of the ice? Uh, so not as prominent this year, because again, a lot of new faces, um, but it's certainly still a big part of the game and still something that has to, uh, you have to be on the lookout for every time that you are on the ice against the Broncos for sure. Yeah. You know, uh, Johnny Mack asked this question, um, and it, uh, again, we'll try to be as sensitive with this as we can. Um, well, let's start with the other half of the questions because these yes. are more hockey question here. Uh, do you see them continuing to be an offensive powerhouse, or do they rein it in? Do they still have talent to get to the top of the 
uh, the NCHC. They do. Um, as we mentioned with the freshman class coming in, there's some raw talent there. And again, it's how does this raw talent come in and adjust um, to the NCAA Division One ranks? Again, for some, it takes um, overnights. For some, it takes maybe a season plus. We just don't know. That's the biggest question mark on this Broncos team is, you know, how quickly does this all come together from? And as we talked about um, previously is if it does come together, I think they have a decency. Maybe they do sneak into fourth. Noah, they could. Um, I don't think that they will eclipse third, second. There's certainly, I don't think are in contention for number one, um, but they could slip in there. I could see that. But again, it's, you know, how quickly can you put it all together? That's the big question mark. Yeah. The last question also coming from Johnny Mack. Uh, what's the deal with the culture of college hockey in the state of Michigan? Is Western Michigan cleaned up after bucking their captain and coach? And part of this goes back to, obviously, the Mel Pearson situation, the other piece, and we won't dive into it really at all, uh, but Paul Washi, um, and, of course, his situation where he was removed from the roster after a suspension from the team, uh, arraigned on third-degree criminal sexual conduct by force of coercion, uh, essentially right after Christmas, Um and I don't really want to jump into that too much because we really want to highlight, um, you know, this Broncos club and the excitement there. Um, but it is a question that is a fair one. Moreover, I kind of want to know your opinion on this, Nick. Uh, is Western Michigan, are they able to put that all behind them? How does Pat Fershweiler kind of regroup them? And with this new incoming class, how do they kind of create this new stamp on, on college hockey in Kalamazoo? First of all, I think the question is portrayed a little bit with some false premises. And what I mean by that is you're taking the actions of one player, albeit their captain and, and trying to blanket that to the entire program. I don't, I personally don't believe that you can, although their, their perception is there. So I understand fans and how they can equate somebody on a team or a business, you know, speaking in general forms to, the whole company or two. Yeah. I to, to, yeah. To say, I mean, the question, and again, I'll read it again, is WMU cleaned up after bucking their captain to be fair. That's a huge distraction. And don't forget his brother, Tim is on this hockey team. Right. Um, so, you know, so, so, so let me get there. Right. So, because I, I, I was getting there. Yeah. Um, I, you, you, we have to be able to separate those who commit the acts versus those who don't. Yeah. Um, I personally don't believe that there was a inherent, deeply rooted multiple culture problem within Western Michigan uh, hockey team. Now with the specifics of the question, right now, granted there was a time in December where Paul Washi was out of the lineup. There was literally nothing that was corresponding to his absence. Um, Essentially, when they were asked about it, it was that he was away from the team. Um, so when it was learned about, from what we understand, is that it was quickly discussed. He was removed. And then we were towards, it was it January, I think, when it kind of really exploded in terms of, well, this is out. Um, the allegations had come now public. And then that's when Western Michigan stepped in and said, hey, when we learned about it in early December, we, we suspended him from the team. We told them that he would not be allowed near the team, near, you know, training with them, nothing. So they got, they took away the distraction. Right. And so when the, when Johnny Maxwell can't leave before they did that, they said that we're not going to put up with this. Yes, there is a legal process to anybody alleged of any crime. Right. But to help protect our hockey team, we're going to move forward from this and look what the result was. I'm not saying it's a direct correlation, but 
having the first ever program uh, win an NCAA t- uh, tournament history. That's a big deal. Um, yeah. This team was still just as much dangerous. So they handled it accordingly. And I don't think it really ever was an anchor to them. I think it was a situation that came up. They handled it quickly and um, d- is very specifically yeah. and, and were able to move by it. So I don't really think it was much of a, a disdain uh, as long as long term as people would maybe perceive it to be i think it was a very quick acted very let's get rid of this let's move on let's you need to handle your things outside of this we're going to make sure that as a hockey team we continue to have success moving forward and this is what we have to do to make sure that happens yeah certainly agree um and, and like i said we don't want to detract from it or anything you know it, it is a fair question things did happen um but at the same time I, i'm glad the clarification obviously is important i think for that right. um and and to be fair again because i think you know anybody that's accused of a crime uh needs to be needs to be happened from yeah. what i understand the last you know bit of information we have was back in may and there was a trial yeah. um that and was haven't ongoing heard, haven't heard anything haven't since, heard anything so, as far yeah. as you know the results of that so and i think it's you know anybody innocent until proven guilty so yeah. again there's a legal process for both those who are accused and the accuser so definitely agree uh, moving back to some hockey pieces our wrap up here for the broncos as we normally do if you're western michigan heading into this season you're pat Firstweiler and his club what is your main goal for the season and if you're the st Cloud state huskies who only have them once uh, for a single weekend, I should say, in the month of November. How do you match up against this team and get a couple of Ws? Pun uh, intended. Uh, right. Um, <laughs> for if you're Pat first while you're trying to bring, you're trying to get everybody up to speed as quick as you can. Um, again, so many new faces. You have a lot of young talent that could have potentially some breakout uh, type numbers. Again, we went over those players earlier in the show. Um, so if you can get them acclimated to your game plan, make them feel comfortable, make them feel confident in the systems, um, that's going to be goal number one. If you're St. Cloud, it's to keep them uncomfortable, right? Um, get in on your forecheck, use your speed. Again, St. Cloud, everything to me derives from their speed up and down the ice. Uh, it's quick transition out of their zone if you're St. Cloud out and then uh, um, what could be i don't know if it's like the you know the most questionable part but you know put pucks on net you know really yeah. challenge the goaltender and for a defensive core that has got some bit but i don't know if there's anybody really that sticks out skill wise but you know really just grind down the defense I and mean, then put the pucks below the goal line grind it out use a cycle game hold on to the puck put some cycle time in um, and, and really, like I said, put pep, you know, put pucks in that from any direction, but traffic in front, make him work extra hard in the defensive zone. That's how I would do it. Noah, how would you do it? Yeah. You know, actually both of my points go together. It comes from a stat, um, from last year, plus one Oh three in the shot differential for Western Michigan last season. Uh, one of the best in the NCHC. If I'm the Broncos continue that onslaught of getting pucks on net from all areas of the ice, they like to shoot the puck from anywhere. I think continue that idea, that mentality of keeping the game simple and putting pucks on net, uh, you know, a plus 49, uh, differential in period two, plus 37 in period three, plus three in overtime and plus one in the first period. It's a pretty dominant all the way around, uh, including a plus 23 goal differential period. Number three, keep that train rolling. If you're saying cloud, uh, perimeter play, make sure those shots are limited, uh, outside chances, pucks that goaltenders are able to see, uh, and just keep them into the perimeter, uh, really kind of, uh, stymie that transitional game a little bit too. So making sure that those shots are not quick chance opportunities off the rush, you're making them have to establish zone time and stay on the perimeter. They can have the outside as long as they want. You just got to keep uh, the play away from the middle of the house. I think if you're playing Western Michigan and use that home ice and that big ice sheet to your, your advantage, St. Cloud traditionally does much better against uh, 
uh, the Western Michigan Broncos when they're at home at the Herbert National Hockey Center. So as always, we wish the Western Michigan Broncos the best of luck in all their endeavors in the NCHC, except of course, against our St. Cloud State Huskies. That will do it for the main portion of the show. We will now head on to our extra ice session. We're going to talk all things recapping the World Junior Championship. And welcome into the extra ice session. Noah Grant alongside Nick Maxson here. Nick, uh, we tried to plan the show out accordingly. It's not going to plan. Thanks to the fans for that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, two to two heading into overtime here on this Saturday night. We were hoping to have the answer to the result. Uh, third period just ended between Canada and Finland, so we'll hopefully get an update on that as well. Uh, the big storyline here, I think on our side especially, uh, is the monumental collapse uh, in the early part of the medal round for uh, Team USA here. So kind of to recap and bring people up to speed as to where we are at to get to this point, medal round uh, began on the 17th of August here. Uh, and uh, uh, excuse me. Yeah, no, the 17th of August. I was trying to figure out why this looks so confusing here. Uh, the Finns beat Germany by a score of 5-2. to two. Uh, Sweden beat Latvia by a score of 2-1, to one, a much tighter game than I think a lot of people had anticipated. Uh, Canada beating the Swiss 6-3, to three, and the U.S. falling 4-2 to two at the hands of Czechia uh, to advance to the semifinal rounds. It was Canada besting Czechia the next night by a score of 5-2. to two. And then the Finns, a gutsy one to nothing victory over the over Swedes. Sweden. Uh, yesterday, and then the Swedes did take bronze over Czechia today, um, and that brings us to the championship game that's going on right now. But the U.S.-Czechia game, of course, 4-2 to two was the final score, empty netter in the dying moments of that hockey game. And, you know, th this was a game that I think on the surface, and you look at the game winner, we talked about the Colorado College Tigers last week and Caden Umberco and the great play that he had gave up a pretty much a bit of a softy for the game winner, the third goal in that hockey game shots, 30 to 24 in favor of the U S uh, and then uh, penalties in minutes, uh, pretty much identical in this hockey game. I got to be honest though, Nick, I went back and, you know, watched this hockey game because I didn't get, I didn't get a chance to see it live. I saw it uh, the next morning and the U S scores the opening goal, the tail end of the first period allows three straight is able to get a marker halfway through period number three. Um, to be honest with you, besides maybe the first half of the first period, Czechia was the better team here. They deserve to win this hockey game. The U.S. was fundamentally not a sound Flat. hockey team in this game. Yeah, and I, I think it's easy to look at Umberko's, you know, missed shot. It's a save he's got to have, obviously. But I think beyond that, the U.S. should have been able to handle this team a lot better. They, they are one of the best defensive teams in the tournament. They are one of the best well-oiled machines entering the medal round. That's not to say that you can't be off on any given night, but I, I, it's hard to fault just one or two things for the U.S. They were not a good team on this on this night. They weren't, and you kind of wonder too, Noah. You know where USA was cruising through the preliminary round, and uh, you know Chechnya, um, they were good. Um, I would say where was anything that um, per se, you know, maybe you know stood out to them a little bit. Um, and at the end of the day, too, USA scored first in this hockey game. Um, so usually U.S. gets that first goal. That's when they just they just pile it on, right? And in this hockey game, it almost seemed like, dare I say, they got a little too comfortable too soon. Yeah. Um, they looked slow. I mentioned, you know, they looked flat. And, you know, I think the biggest thing about this was, you know, they were one of the better um, and no, not the better. They were the best goals against squad in the tournament preliminary round. 
and just incredibly just not great fundamentals on defense or structure wasn't great. Um, I just got the sense that they kind of took this game for granted. I mean, am I wrong yeah. in that? Yeah, no, you're not wrong at all. And I'm trying to pull up to, I'm trying to see uh, the shot totals. Yeah. Um, for, for each of these teams here and steam team statistics here, but you know, it's interesting and I'm trying to figure out what the order the the double IHF and the way that they do some of their sheets and stuff is really confusing. So Good bear feet. with me. Yeah. Bear with me here. Uh, shots, uh, 30 to 24 in favor of the U.S. Yeah, shots were 16 to 10 for the U.S. in period number one. Shots were 4 to 8 um, in favor of Czechia in period number two, and then 10 to 6 in period three for the U.S. Um, yeah, kind of a weird hockey game. Uh, the U.S. had, you know, the, that uh, major power play. You also had uh, the slew footing major against uh, Berard for the U.S. as well. Um just a weird undisciplined hockey game in some senses where the penalty minutes were the um, fairly similar. But with that being said, um, it was just a, a performance that was not characteristic of the U S team that we had seen, even in the game against Sweden, which was kind of a nail biter at the end, this U S team, just a lot of question marks uh, and a lot left to be desired. And the thing that's most disappointing, I think is that you look at Finland who beats, beats the Swedes one to nothing is now going into overtime with Canada, you know, and I think we talked about the Finns being probably the next best team between the two, besides the two North American teams, the U S and Canada game would have been an absolute barn burner. Had they made it to this point, those were two teams that were heavily favored to match up and the U S like they have done in a lot of international tournaments, a pure choke job. Pure choke yeah. job. Now, one thing I will give uh, Czechia a lot of credit to was uh, they really gave the U.S. fits when the U.S. would move the puck low to high and there just wasn't a lane to the net. Um, so you got to give them a little bit of credit too for checking, getting and clogging those those shooting lanes, especially from the point position. Um, you want to watch guys like, say, Luke Hughes or, uh, oh, geez, I'm trying to think. He even was a Jack Pierre at the line. I mean, they're just, there wasn't these clean lanes they're, they're used to having um, at the top of the, uh, by the blue line. And so you got to give check, you get a little bit of credit there too, uh, for being defensively, maybe, I don't know, maybe more of a mental gap than anything, but the U S dare I say, you know, and sometimes Noah too, there's games where maybe you're just overthinking it. Um, you know, is it, it's a do or die game, you know, with a prelim game, you could lose it. Granted, you know, you can't lose too many, but you know, you're still living to fight another day for the most part. Whereas when the pressure turned on to one and done, dare I say, maybe it's more of a mental gaffe than it is maybe anything else. And that's been, as you mentioned, maybe the more frustrating team with the U.S. in certain tournaments is that there are teams like last year's team that uh, could rise above the occasion. You mentioned the soft goal by Caden and Barico for the third goal that gave Czechia a two-goal lead at the time in the second period. You kind of wonder if, there are just a different mix of players that just are able to overcome. And I don't know if you want to call it adversity, but the ebbs and flows of a hockey game. And for whatever reason, team USA in a winner take all game, just didn't seem to have that. Yeah, certainly not. Uh, Caden and Berko for the tournament, by the way, uh, in five total games, a one, seven, six goals against average and a oh, nine, really two, good. one save percentage 
Um, just played just over 238 minutes in this. Uh, St. Cloud's own Jack Peart had two points in four contests for him. Uh, team leader in points was Thomas Borlo, who, of course, plays for the San Jose Sharks, had one goal and seven assists for eight points. A couple guys with seven. Matthew Coronado had seven. Um, Carter Mazur had a really great tournament with seven points as well. Uh, the two guys with six were Landon Slaggard and Logan Cooley. Of course, Logan Cooley, the third overall pick to Arizona in this last draft. Hey, wait a second. Real quick. Yeah. Where was Matthew Nice? Uh, Matty Nice had three points. Uh, Luke Hughes had six, by the way. Missed him on this list as well, too. Yeah. Um, Matty Nice kind of had a weird tournament. He was kind of snake bit, uh, you know, in a couple of the preliminary games, and I don't think was able to really kind of find his groove a little bit. Wyatt Kaiser, of course, Minnesota Duluth, had three points in the back end, two goals for him. Um, Those all coming in, I think, the first two prelim games, and he went silent, if I yeah, recall. Yeah, yeah so... Um, Hunter, Hunter McCowan, who we talked about for Colorado College, had a single point as well, too. So a lot of these guys, Brock Faber, Minnesota Wild, draft pick, had two points in five games. He was plus 10, though. Uh, in fact, had the best plus-minus rating on the entire team, was the only one in double digits. Uh, the next closest uh, was Riley Duran, uh, Red Savage, both at plus five, and then I guess Luke Hughes was plus seven as well. So nobody was negative um, from the tournament. A lot of guys at zero, but... Uh, yeah, this U.S. team, I, I I don't know. And they were a group that I wouldn't say they were, you know, I wouldn't characterize them as the best U.S. team to ever, you know, go to a World Junior Tournament. But they were a good team. You know, they were a well-oiled machine. They were well-coached. Um, they were a team that uh, was pretty good defensively, but it almost kind of became their downfall a little bit, I think, especially in these run-and-gun tournaments. Uh, having a potent offense uh, definitely uh, certainly helps. This was a team that, and especially in that last game, almost, I don't know if you would call it too cute or too calm, but too passive, you know, is, you yeah. know, how I would put it is that the forecheck was just kind of non-existent. You looked at so many or defensemen who were going back to track pucks back into their own zone. It wasn't three hard strides and getting to that puck and head up, snapping the puck off. It was almost like, you know, when defensemen who are playing on teams that are maybe overmatched, they turn their feet and they almost prepare to engage or almost impede or interfere the attacking forward. The mm -hmm. U.S. was doing that. Why are you doing that against Czechia? You know, I granted Czechia, I think, overperformed in the medal round for how meh they were in the preliminary round. Um, same with Latvia, who had a really good tournament. I think surprised a lot of people in their. Um, they were the Cinderella to... story, by the yeah. way. And they, a, a future St. Cloud commit, Martin Lavins, had a heck yeah. of a tournament. Yes, he did. Yeah, for sure. So, um, but this US team, they just they did not play the game that got them to that point. And no. honestly, Nick, uh, we've seen it before with the US playbook and the international stage, but this this was kind of disappointing. It was, it was disappointing because everything – and this is where we, we talked about before, objectively on paper, right? Everything was pointing towards um, a U.S.-Canada gold medal matchup um, or at least, you know, at least a semifinal appearance, right? Not a quarterfinal loss to Czechia and yeah. not taking anything away from Czechia. They earned that victory. Yes, they did. Uh, um, so I, I want to make that point clear, but more so – how, like you mentioned too, just the posture and, and just almost like, you know, dare I say, were they just looking ahead to the next game? Did they just yeah. maybe not take Czechia seriously? Uh, you know, we don't know, um, but it kind of gives you some, some questions as to how they played in the prelims. We, that was a team that you mentioned. And I watched uh, almost every single prelim game, how they were, 
you know, they were uh, striding hard. They were, they were hard on pucks. Um, again, using their uh, potent offense to their advantage. Um, was it 24 goals in the first three games? It was, it was like 24 to four or 23 to four or something like that for their goals yeah. for goals against ratio it was pretty Tw good. Yeah. 24 total in the tournament. So, um, so 22 or 21, maybe to four, 20, um, 21. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's or, a, that's a good sorry, ratio. math. 22. Wow. Anyway, yeah. plus 18, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. yeah plus yeah. 18. Third, so, in the third in the tournament in scoring efficiency, fourth, fourth in the tournament in power play, second in PK and save percentage. And with those underlying factors, you should have a much better outcome than that. So it's disappointing to say the least, because they have the talent, they have the coaching. There's no question. They, should have had better um but they did not and and again it's 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 that ultimate question in sports minnesota sports fans know this where you have um you know a team that is, seems to be trending in the right direction or showing you that they're capable of doing something special then all of a sudden it's like what am i watching who is this team because this is not the team that got us to this point this is not the uh you know the dangerous team that could go on to potentially you know play for a gold medal this is going to be one where i think a lot of players after watching this tape are going to look in the mirror and go i left a lot on the ice that night and that's just yeah. i think that's the most disappointing point noah which is feeling like you could have done more and uh again you watch the last game in this last game it's completely different teams completely different story yeah, certainly it's difficult. And then you you take a look at, you know, the Canadian roster. Obviously, Mason McTavish is having an otherworldly tournament, has 15 yes, points, is. could add a 16th, uh, which would be pretty huge for Canada at this yes, point. It would be. Um, but, you know, I mean, Olin Zellweger in the back end has 10 points in six games, you know. Uh, and you look at the plus minuses with this Canadian team, just they were a well-oiled machine and just a lot of talent on this group. And they didn't disappoint, you know. They were just a team that continue to be efficient night in and night out they're getting their first real honest test with the Finns right now and we talked about how this Finnish team was probably besides the North American teams was probably the next best team in this tournament in fact mm -hmm. if you take a look at them statistically as we mentioned they're second in scoring efficiency on power play their PK is really poor and all right in save percentage uh, top end of the middle of the pack in save percentage uh this Finnish team likes the low scoring games for sure so I uh, yeah, it, it's really disappointing. And I think that there was a conversation, I believe it was actually on the World Junior uh, website. There was a conversation that was talking about the groupings of the pools and some of these teams where we've had the discussion where the U.S. and Canada have been these dominant powerhouses for a long time. Then you have the Finns and the Swedes that throw themselves in there. Russia and Germany contend on occasion. And then the rest of them, your Latvians, your Slovaks, your Czechias, teams like that. Um your Austrians, whoever it may be, uh, teams like that kind of struggle a little bit in the tournament. And the talk was all about, does this tournament need to be reformatted? Do we need to, you know, really realize that there's not parity in some of these tournaments? I think with the story of Latvia, the story with Czechia, the U.S. losing, um, and some of that unpredictability, I, I think you throw some of that out the window. I think international hockey is becoming more and more um, closer together than ever before. Granted, the U.S. choked. We talked about that. But at the same time, I, I don't think anything's a given anymore like it was 10 years no. ago for a lot of these teams. 
No, and and at the end of it, that's the opposite argument is, you know, by uh, teams like, say, Germany, who have, you know, sort of been a program on a very fast track rise, shall we say, uh, Slovakia yeah. and Czechia. Again, they've they've hung around, you know, against smaller countries. Um, but then again, you have you have Russia again, uh, who goes up and down. Sweden, Finland have, are kind of, I would say, in that second tier behind U.S. and uh, Canada in terms of they have some decent depth. Usually every year they're always usually kind of in that conversation to be in the medal round. Um, but by being a team like Latvia and you're going up against this, you know, say that the bigger giants, right? You're learning every single year. You're taking lessons from that. And granted the scores, I, I get it. You know, everybody looks at the scores and what's say seven, nothing seven, one. And you're like, why these guys are there. It's, it's part of the growing pains of growing the game. That's really what it is. It, it's, it's not, is it pretty from a fan's perspective? No, but you got to look beyond the numbers. You got to look at what that experience is like for those athletes, the players, and even so the coaching staff, right? Cause they're taking notes. They're going to watch film and it, you know, those players that participate are going home. They're sharing that experience and you know, whether it's inspiring others, they're taking that to the next level with their workouts, with their skill training it is a learning curve either way. So you have to look at just beyond the scores of these games and know that there's a wider impact much as you had referred to Noah. And that is this is part of the growing the game and the game is trending where again, nothing's a guaranteed anymore. And if it was USA would be there right now and they're not. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I got a couple more questions here for you as we're kind of taking a look at the overtime here. Hopefully usually overtimes, they end pretty quickly in world junior championships. So we're kind of going to take a look here, but uh, my first question for you is, um, as we look at the gold medal game, it's only fitting. Was Canada the best team in this tournament? I would think so. hundred um, percent. Just based on, you know, their overall play up and down uh, goaltending. They, they haven't really had been tested really uh, goaltending wise, but up and down, they've had the most consistent performance of any team that's been in this tournament. So by far, yes, they are the best team. So besides the North American teams, which would be Canada, the United States, is there another team or uh, one or two teams essentially that you look at that you think um, has really made a big jump, has really impressed you that you kind of want to maybe highlight a little bit, you know, maybe not only just this year, but in recent years, of course, the Finns have had a lot of recent success, like we've talked about. Mm -hmm. um, but are there a couple of teams that you take a look that you go, boy, you know, especially in the next five years, this is going to be, this is not going to be a one or two horse race like it has been uh, the previous decade. Germany. Uh, honestly, uh, you know, this is a team that, you know, was they had been relegated a few times, right, uh, yeah. to a, a different group. Um, but it, to me, I mean, let's look at what Tim Stutz luck coming out of there. They've got some other good homegrown talent that's really starting to push the envelope in. Granted, again, you know, they're, they're, they're knocking on the door, but they're trending in a direction that's up. And, you know, as I mentioned before, to me, of U.S. and Canada's tier one, I would say Finland, Finland, Sweden, Russia, I would put in there, or maybe your tier twos. Tier three is going to be your Czech, your Slovakia. Uh, and then you have maybe tier fours like, you know, say, Latvia, Swiss, uh, Swiss yeah. maybe. Although, uh, although, the, although the Swiss made the medal round, so I mean, pretty they, decent right. little jump for them. But Yeah, but I would say Germany, to me, is, is on the higher fast track to that. Uh, to me, it seems like they're really starting to push the envelope for international competition. And if, and I look at it from a newcomer because, you know, again, most of the other teams that we mentioned, they've been there, maybe hadn't had the most success. But Germany is still relatively new to this grouping and you know they've impressed you know they've gotten better every single year so to me they have the highest trajectory in the next five years to maybe make a statement so to me it's germany 
Nick, do you want to talk about uh, a statement here? Uh, we have uh, the Canadian team winning uh, the World Junior uh, Championship gold medal here, uh, defeating the Finns 3-2 to two in overtime. I'm trying to see who got the game winner here, but it looked like a net mouse scramble from what I can see, a lot of bodies in front of the net. So Canada is your World Junior gold medal champions here. But like you mentioned, Nick, um, you know, I think it's impressive. Uh, I definitely got to give a shout-out. I think the, the Swedes – we're really kind of the first team besides the U S and Canada to kind of make that jump on the international stage. Of course, winning in Torino mm -hmm. in 2006 at the Olympic event there um, with uh, some guy named Henrik Lundqvist who happened to be really decent. Here's all um, right. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, those things, uh, I think maybe you take a look at events like that, where you have people that break those barriers, Latvia getting their first world junior uh, win and getting to their first medal round. Right. You know, those are things that only help grow the game. We talked a little bit about the women's hockey team for St. Cloud State, the coaching hires, and the potential. You have a current head coach that, hey, has coached with the Chinese national team and brought them a lot of success on the women's side. So a lot of the growth of the game is starting to become more international, and I think that's exciting uh, as you go through that, that you have some of these teams that uh, are starting to kind of create some more of that parity uh, that we maybe haven't seen uh, in years past here. So I'm trying to find uh, to see if I can figure out who scored the game winner here for this one, Nick. That's kind of the last thing that I want to try to figure out here. I'm pulling up the game filter now. You. So let's see here. Uh, game center. Game Looks details. like it's Kent Johnson. Kent Johnson from Logan Stankovan, who Logan Stankovan had a heck of a tournament here. Yes, uh, Ken, Ken Johnson did as well. Of course, the former Michigan Wolverine, uh, uh, getting ready to play in the national hockey. League. I forget who is he, uh, who is he playing for? That's Ken a, Johnson. Yeah. Uh, Columbus, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I, I think so. Let me, let me triple check here. Um, as you can tell, we're heading into the late hours of, uh, I, the Oscars warming house way, you are you are, you are correct number 91 for the columbus blue jackets 19 years of age a 2002 product um for those who are wondering i uh, in his ncaa career he had two seasons at the university of michigan and he had 64 points in 58 games 47 assists for a 1.1 points per game clip and uh scored a pretty big goal last time i checked so uh with that being said nick anything else you wanted to add to kind of wrap up the world junior championships we're good yeah, well, Canada was good. Anyway. Canada was good. Yeah. <laughs> With that being said, we appreciate all of our listeners and viewers. Uh, stay tuned as we get towards the home ice participants here for the NCHC previews. Uh, Nick and I have hashed out our decisions here as we move into teams number four through number one, and we are excited to bring you next week's action as well. For Nick Maxson, I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the den. Timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! No, Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL! Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.